today on Ag News Daily. So smaller cow-calf producers and, and then ICA providing them a voice. We need to <clears throat> emphasize how important the cattle industry is. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Pearson here on this Friday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined as always by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? Pretty good, Mike. It's starting to snow outside. We're getting a lot of winter weather across kind of all over the U.S. this week or this weekend, I should say. Interesting. So you are about an hour west of me, and I have mm-hmm. not seen a snowflake all day, despite the fact that my radar shows snow. I'm guessing it's just been a little too dry, but you're mm. seeing some snow already. Started to see a couple flakes fall. Uh, Nothing too right, bad well, yet, though. No, it sounds like tonight's going to be difficult. And tonight, yeah. you're on a bit of a road trip. Yeah, as soon as we're done taping market to market, I'm heading to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to MC the South Dakota Corn Growers event. So I know we've got some South Dakota folks that listen. So hopefully I'll get to uh, meet up with some of you guys tomorrow. That's right. If you're a South Dakota corn grower planning on heading to the event, hit up Delaney. You can uh, tweet at her or tweet at us at Ag News Daily on Twitter or on Facebook and uh, let her know. I know Louis Nig goes up to there. Yep. It's, they always have it. There's some kind of a weather event. So this will be a, another fun year for oh, North Dakota corn growers. South Dakota, yes. So, South Dakota, yes. Did I say North Dakota? Yeah, that's okay. We know what Wrong you meant. Wrong Dakota there, people. We knew what you meant. Well, we knew what, what I meant. That's all that matters. Yeah. What's the news you've got for us today, Delaney, before you get back to work? Well, well, this is work, Mike. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, of course, of course. Yes. It uh, it's more so, like volunteer. That's true. When you're not getting paid a whole lot, it is pretty much volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> that's our commitment to excellence, listeners. That's right. That's right. We just like doing it. That's right. Yeah. Well, yesterday and today both, we've seen the soybean markets rally pretty significantly and i'm guessing it's because of this news we saw yesterday u.s secretary treasury secretary steve mnuchin said that he was considering a proposal to lift some or all u.s tariffs on chinese goods however robert lighthizer our trade representative kind of butt heads with steve mnuchin saying that's not what we want to do so we're gonna see uh, maybe some some squeams happen on the U.S. side as well as kind of seeing what happens on the international side as well. Yes. You know, when it comes to lifting those tariffs, I think the technical phrase for what happened is U.S. trade rep Robert Lighthizer effectively pooped on Stephen Mnuchin's proposal. (laughs) He said it would be a sign of weakness for us to step back and withdraw some of the tariffs, whereas Mnuchin really thinks it would be more of a conciliatory gesture. Hey, let's get these talks off on the right foot. Mm -hmm by lifting some of these tariffs. But even if we were to lift our tariffs, who knows if China would lift their tariff uh, predominantly on soybeans. Yeah, absolutely. So we do know that stocks reacted pretty quickly to that report yesterday, bouncing higher mid-afternoon. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 245 points at one point or 1%, but then settled back down lower. We also know scheduled at the end of January, China's vice premier, Liu He, is scheduled to travel to Washington, D.C. to have some more trade talks. Yes. Gonna get them over here, wine and dine them, maybe get them all liquored up and get them to drop those uh, drop those uh, tariffs. And I think the other thing right now, I've got, I've got actually mostly Chinese-related news today. Um, we saw yesterday unconfirmed reports that China is looking to buy basically – six years worth of wheat from the U.S. Wow. Wow. 
wow, that would be good news. Yeah. And there are rumors trickling around too that they've already bought some, but we're not, we don't know that for sure because we're not having export sales and numbers. Uh, so we're kind of just going off of what private analysts are guesstimating. But yeah, apparently reports and rumors have been trickling around now that China would want to buy six years worth of wheat from the U.S. And I thought that was crazy. I don't know why they wouldn't go to Russia or Australia or Europe, but I guess they want to go to Don't give them the any US. ideas. Well, I know. I can tell you, it looks as though nobody has told the wheat market that. <laughs> yes. But um, we've got some other news. Speaking of things going around, consumer sentiment, which has really been on a tear since President Trump was elected, since the stock market began its bullish run, um, all the, the tech, corporate tax reform had taken place. All of these things had really been supporting consumer sentiment, which I always read as a good sign that mm -hmm. people are going to stay out there. They're going to keep buying, you know, high-end protein. It fell to the lowest level in over two years in December, according to the University of Michigan. The December stock market volatility and that big drop-off we saw in the S&P and the Dow, combined with the federal government shutdown, have made consumers a little more nervous, and they are uh, feeling less positive about the state of the economy than they have mm. for two years, which I thought was a big, big drop. That is a pretty big drop, especially when we see that it's gone to the lowest level. Right, Yikes. right. And, you know, yeah. since since Trump was elected. Yeah. yeah I think so I, saw I don't that know too. what that's going to mean yeah. for beef. Domestic demand has been one of yeah. the leading figures here for us. And I hope we can uh, keep folks out there continuing to buy excellent steaks. I hope so, too. Or... If not steak, then at least some pork if they're looking for maybe a little cheaper substitute there. And it looks right. like potentially China, I don't know, we keep getting kind of, you know, mixed reviews about the Chinese African swine fever situation. We have new reports now that China has culled in total nearly a million hogs. They're up to 916,000 after around 100 outbreaks across the country, and that's a report coming out from the Agricultural Ministry earlier this week. The disease so far has reached 24 provinces since it first outbroke in August. And so I guess to put it in perspective, as Mike and I had to look up one time, this article actually says they have almost 700 million hogs in 2017. Those were the kind of the stats there. So really... They've culled now almost a seventh of their population. Uh, that doesn't seem right. Why not? They've culled a million out of 700 million. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. They culled the 70th. Yes. Sorry. That's what I oh, meant yeah, to yeah, say. We're, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, yes. Then, then I would not Good correct math. you. Good math, Delaney. Thanks yeah, for well, you know, it's not like we work with numbers for a living. <laughs> Thanks for correcting that. Yeah. If they do cull a seventh of their herd, which who knows, we don't know how good of a grasp they have on African mm -hmm. swine fever, that would be very, very bullish for um, yes. American lean hog markets, I would guess. It would. However, okay, to follow up with that, to redeem myself here, um, China is expecting to see liquidation by small farmers and just their hog herd in general by 20% in 2019. Oh, wow. That is a big number. Yeah. And, you know, the government came out yesterday and said, hey, replenish your herds as fast yeah. as possible. Get that Barry White music going. And apparently nobody's <laughs> listening. Apparently not. 
Well, we do have confirmation from the European Union that they are willing to discuss car tariffs, but they have said officially they will not remove duties on farm products in trade talks with the U.S. Christina Malmstrom stated that earlier today, and of course, Delaney has mentioned that uh, Washington, Robert Lighthizer and crew continues to have farm tariffs on the docket for discussion. Now it appears as though there's going to be a discussion about the discussion since uh, the EU has said they will not discuss farm tariffs at all. So it'll be interesting to see where this heads as these meetings take off officially here over the next week. A discussion about a discussion. I like that. Yeah, I think that's what we're going to see. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, it sounds like we're going to have a discussion about a discussion in another area as well. As we know, House Democrats tried to push through some legislation earlier this week to end the government shutdown And it looks like they have decided to go ahead and force votes next week on another package of fiscal spending, 2019 spending, that was negotiated last year but didn't get enacted. Um, The agreement on the fiscal year 2019 USDA spending measure, which is part of this bill they're trying to push forward next week, will include non-binding report language raising concerns about basically Secretary Purdue's plan to move the Economic Research Service and National Institute of Food and Agriculture out of the nation's capital. Apparently, that is also a sticking point for the budget that we didn't know yet. Weird. So that's what they're going to tie this shutdown funding to? It sounds like that is one of the pieces to this package uh, that they're working to get through next week. You know, as somebody who is considerably outside the Beltway, obviously I don't spend a lot of time in D.C., it's surprising to me that that proposal has gotten so much pushback. I know. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I think it's kind of nice outside of D.C. ERS, you know, come on out. Come on out here to the heartland. We'd love to have you in Ames or Des Moines or Chicago or, you know, Topeka or uh, whatever towns are in, uh, you know, other states. So, I just did a little more digging here. That legislation that they're trying to push through would basically provide funding for six different bipartisan bills to open most of the federal government, reopen most of the federal government, including agriculture, rural development, food and drug administration, and related agencies, commerce, justice, science, and related agencies, financial services and and general government, interior environment, and related agencies, and then state foreign operations and related programs. It sounds like pretty, pretty, pretty much, much the whole kitchen sink. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, I've got one other story here coming from south of the equator. I talked a week or two ago about the Brazil government's plan to take control of indigenous land, basically the Brazilian versions of indigenous reservations, and hand control of that over to the agriculture department. It sounds as though that is still moving forward, and there was an announcement made yesterday that the new Minister of Agriculture, Teresa Cristina Diaz, has said that they should also open up this land to commercial farming. Hmm. As of now, that is prohibited on uh, indigenous ground, which makes up 12% of Brazil's uh, land area. And she's saying, look, we need to go ahead and open up indigenous areas for farming. It will let tribes and groups earn some income. And I'm sure they're thinking it will help Brazil keep up with Chinese soybean demand. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's still a controversial topic. There's definitely going to be some pushback by environmental groups and so forth. But it sounds as though that plan is moving ahead. So we could see 
you know, probably not the full 12% go into production, but, you know, another 2 or 3% of Brazil's land area opened up for commercial agriculture. Interesting. All right. Um, so really the only other piece of news I have for today is a, going back to kind of some Democrat or uh, government stuff here. Nancy Pelosi has assigned some new members to the House Agriculture Committee that could shake things up here in the future. So we've, we're seeing Congresswoman Cindy Axney from Iowa added to the House Agriculture Committee. Anthony Brindisi, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, from New York. Uh, California Democrats, Democrats Salud Carbajal, Josh Harder, and TJ Cox. And a couple other ones here going down the list, but it looks like they're really changing up. I, I mean, really, really changing up House Agriculture Committee this year. So that could play some interesting into some interesting landscape here as we consider all the things coming up for 2019. Yeah, probably a good thing that Farm Bill is done and out of the way. But you're exactly right. Lots of other agricultural measures will be decided by this. I think 119th Congress, 121st. Mm. I can't remember. I can't either. I get all my numbers confused. But numbers I don't get confused, Delaney, are the numbers that round out the markets for the end of the week. What do you say? Should we jump into that and see where we closed? Let's do it. Okay, our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with Zaner anytime by giving them a shout at 312-277-0050 or by visiting them on the web at zaner.com. And a snowy weekend might be the best time to put pencil to paper and start working on your marketing plan. We've got green in the grains today as we take a look at how the markets closed for the week. In corn, the March contract was up one and three quarter cents at 381 and three quarters. The May up two cents at 390 even. In soybeans, the March contract was higher by nine cents on the day, closed the week at nine sixteen and three quarters. The May contract also jumped nine cents to finish at nine thirty even. Chicago wheat, the March contract unchanged on the day at five seventeen and three quarters. The May up a half a cent at five twenty three and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock, in live cattle, we dropped 57.5 cents to close at 126.52.50. The April up 47.5 to finish at 127.37.50. Mixed trade also in feeder cattle with the front month January contract up 2.5 cents at 141.45. Of course, that contract is about to expire. The March contract down 10 cents at 142.82.50 and the April up 17.5 to close at 144.40. In lean hogs, the February contract up 37.5 cents at 61.22.50. The April up $1.65 on the day to close at 66.27.5. Jumping over to the dairy market. In Class 3 milk, the January contract down a penny at $13.99, with the February up $0.08 cents to finish at $14.22. Well, that's where the market's closed, Delaney. Why don't you introduce us to our interviews for today? I would love to. So I uh, was working with the Iowa Cattlemen's Association last week doing kind of a mock interview media training with them, and I've got two really pretty standout interviews. Uh, one was Dwayne Steenhook and the other Tim Myers. So let's turn it over to those two gentlemen. Dwayne Steenhook is a member of the Iowa Cattlemen Association board, and he is from Sheraton, Iowa. Dwayne, tell me a little bit about your cattle operation. Um, my wife and I um, have a cow-calf and a feedlot operation. Uh, we 
calve out about 550 cows, um, feed about 300 of those calves out to finish, um, market the other ones uh, through local auction market as um, backgrounded feeder cattle, um, 750, 800 pounds. Um, we custom feed breeding gilts for PIC um, and um, also have some row crop. Oh, you kind of do it all then. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. What about in Sheraton in general? What does the ag background look like there? And specifically, what does cattle production look like in that part of the state? Um, cattle production around in the Lucas County area is um, basically a cow-calf, small cow-calf operations ranging anywhere from uh, 20 to uh, 200 head. Um, there is uh, currently probably three individuals um, finishing cattle in the Lucas County area, um, but uh, typically just your small cow-calf operations. Cow-calf, so not a lot of folks doing feedlot. Correct, correct. And you mentioned you do do feedlot, so where are you, end product, where are you taking your uh, cattle to? Um, we actually um, just started marketing our fed cattle through uh, a comp- producer's livestock out of Sioux City in Omaha and um, are very excited about the possibilities of working with that marketing um, um, cooperative um, on uh, finding markets for our fed cattle. Absolutely. Dwayne, let's talk about your role with the Iowa Cattlemen's Association as a board member. What are your roles and responsibilities? Okay, so I am the District 19 representative, which represents six counties in south-central Iowa, including um, Lucas, Wayne, Appanoose, Davis, Wapolo, and Monroe. Um, my job is to be the kind of go-between between the grassroots membership and um, try to help communicate um, the concerns and, um, and those issues that our grassroots members want um, brought before the board and before our uh, leadership grassroots members. Dwayne, what does that mean? Um, just your individual independent um, cattle producers and, and um, you know, um, just getting back to where it, it those those smaller cow-calf producers and, and then ICA providing them a voice. When you look at producers, you're representing quite a few district or quite a few counties there as District 19. What do you tell members or what discussions do you have with folks that are not members of the Iowa Cattlemen's Association? Uh, we try to um, show them the, the positive aspects of the membership and, and, and what ICA can do for them um, by having membership and supporting and, and how um, having a group of people bonded together and having a, a policy can really influence um, government entities, um, regulatory issues, and those kind of things. What are some benefits, Duane, of being an Iowa Cattlemen's Association member? Um, you know, one of the biggest things, I think, is um, Iowa Cattlemen have done a lot of work on the fence law, which is big in our area. Um, the electronic logbook with cattle um, being moved um, to and from and, and, and getting that done on a timely fashion. Um, I know one of the big things is... Um, uh, the DOT um, five, six years ago wanted to have people that drive a pickup and trailer have a CDL. And the, and the Iowa Cattlemen's Association was one of the leaders in the state of Iowa getting that stopped. Can we go back? You said the fence law or fence legislation? Yes, ma'am. Um, so fence legislation in Iowa is um, if you own land in Iowa, then um, you're responsible to maintain your half of the fence. So every fence between landowners is divided in half. And so um, there's a lot of 
um, people in the state of Iowa, investors, um, CRP owners, hunters, and those kind of people that, that want to get the law changed so that they don't have to take care of any fence on their properties, even if I or any cattle producer has cattle against that property, and they want to make it all the responsibility of the cattle producer. And, um, and Iowa law is very clear on that if you own land in Iowa, you have fence responsibility. And so ICA has been a, a large part in pushing to maintain that law in the state of Iowa. Interesting. I didn't know about that. Thanks for enlightening me. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so uh, we've got NCBA coming up here right around the corner. What are some things as we look at policy from a statewide and a national perspective that ICA is going to be advocating for here at NCBA convention and in the near future? I think the two biggest points probably for um, as we go into the NCBA convention is probably the the broad adoption of the traceability um, and then also the the issues of the U.S. We're hoping the USDA will uh, regulate the fake meat or the laboratory-grown meats. Um, so I think probably those are the two biggest issues that we hope to take forward into that convention. Dwayne, let me ask you one more question. As a cattle producer, your cow-calf and feedlot, Meatless meat, what are your thoughts about it moving forward? Do you think it's going to impact what you're doing day to day in a in a big way? Uh, you, you know, we're, we're very confident in, in our product. We, we do um, a great job of supplying a wholesome product. It's safe. It's it's clean. It's 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 it. The taste is awesome. Uh, really can't concern myself with what those issues are. The the issue I think the biggest issue on the fake meat is is how are they going to label it? So they want to be able to label their product as like a clean meat, which implies that the product that's coming off of my farm that that I do. Uh, I am BQA certified. I'm, I'm feeding wholesome feed grains to my to my animals. That my product is dirty in some way, and I think that's probably the biggest issue that we have. Dwayne, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a great. Tim Meyer is from Harlan, Iowa, and is a current Iowa Cattlemen Association board member. Tim, tell me a little bit about your operation. Uh, I currently own about 65 cows. Uh, I run them on shares with the caretaker as I'm fully employed. I work in Omaha, Nebraska for producers livestock in charge of their credit division. I uh, keep my hands in every facet of agriculture, cattle feeding in that regard by doing that, but uh, also background some calves also on shares with caretakers because I'm fully employed elsewhere. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that because you're kind of seeing things from both perspectives. You're seeing it from being a cattle producer and also seeing it from more of the livestock or the, uh, not the livestock, excuse me, the marketing or the business side of things. Right. I, I think I've been able to do that my entire career, and it's helped me uh, when someone's sitting down across the desk from me and putting a projection out, and I, I can kind of pretty good feel whether that's an accurate projection or whether that's really just maybe uh, blowing smoke. So um, it also helps me empathize. You know, I understand we don't make money on every turn of cattle. I understand that sometimes the cow-calf thing doesn't work as well as it should. So I hope that brings some value to the relationship with with the people I'm talking to because I do feel it in my own checkbook and in my own household. Absolutely. And one of the things I think going on right now, a lot of producers are feeling some of the impacts from trade tensions and whatnot, and maybe not so much the beef industry, but have you had those conversations with producers that you're working with or with folks in your hometown area? And what are they saying about it? 
Well, I think there's a, a general sense of uh, optimistic, cautious, cautiously optimistic that something's going to work out and, and hopefully be favorable at the end of the conversation. But I do know there is some, some hand-wringing and some serious uh, concern over whether it doesn't work out and where does that leave us. So I, I talk to people every day, various uh, sizes and shapes of operations, and, and it affects each one of them differently. And I think that I, you know, we got to come to a resolution fairly soon, or I think that there will be some long-term damage, you know, politically out here in the Midwest. Absolutely. And, and organizations like the Iowa Cattle Men's Association help to alleviate some of that stress and work with producers to make them aware of these issues. What are some of the issues that you're watching right now at this very moment? Well, I think the uh, obviously the trade is the is at the top of the ladder traceability is also a major issue out here um talking to independent sale barn owners they're very concerned about how that affects their business and their clients um independence in the cattle business we got to somehow keep our guys out here working for themselves feeding their own cattle and having that profit opportunity from the profits that come from feeding cattle when you say traceability what are we talking about can you break that down for me a little bit more well, I think what we're trying to do is provide our consumers with some comfort that the animals that they're consuming, whether that's beef, pork, turkeys, chicken, whatever it is, have been well cared for, have been treated humanely, have been uh, uh, given respect, for lack of a better phrase, in how they were taken care of. And, you know, it's a difficult thing because cattle industry come from all over the country and across you know Canada, Mexico, all over the world. So it's a tough task to track every animal and from start to finish. And uh, that presents the biggest challenge. But I do know that our uh, feeders out here are doing the very best they can to take good care of their cattle. Yeah, that's an absolute issue right now, especially as you look at how big the farm-to-table movement has been. I want to ask you about another interesting thing that you mentioned there just briefly. You said that's keeping independent producers independent. Explain, Unpack that a little bit more for me. Do you see the cattle industry mirroring what we see right now in the hog industry, where we have Smithfield or whoever coming in and buying buildings and putting in those pigs? Do you see that happening for the cattle industry? Um. That's exactly what I'm talking about, and I am fearful that that could be the direction the cattle industry could be taken. Um, we've always felt fairly confident that it was going to be a very difficult thing to have happen because because uh, we do have a cow-calf industry that markets calves to feedlots and other places, and, and we thought there's no way that can all be integrated. Well, I'm not so sure that that's completely out of the question, and I've been in my industry long enough to see it happen in the poultry to watch it happen in the hog industry. And, and when you look at the hog side, essentially 60 to 100 integrators own all the breeding stock. And I don't see 60 to 100 integrators owning the entire cow herd in America, but I do know they want to influence the cow herd and the genetics going into that cow herd. And, and, to prevent, and, and it's a good thing in the sense that they want a consistent product and they want a reliable product for the consumer. But if that means replacing the ownership from the ranch to the feedlot to the backgrounder to the finisher, that that's not a good thing for American agriculture. No, it absolutely is, and it's a little scary too. So, Tim, as an Iowa Cattlemen's Association board member and just part of the Iowa Cattlemen's Association, what role then can you play or can I play as a member to help shape policy or shape this 
or prevent this really from happening? You know, I think we need to work with our legislators. We need to <clears throat> emphasize how important the cattle industry is to the economy of Iowa, the economy of the United States. I think we need to really, really focus on promoting our product as a safe, healthy product. Um, there's a lot of news out there, and it's not all accurate about what our product is and, and what it does to you in your in your daily diet, and and I think there's a lot of positive information that needs to get shared, and we need to do that. Last question for you, Tim. What are some of the goals moving forward for the Iowa Cattlemen's Association? Obviously, we want to advocate for our members. That's the biggest uh, emphasis that we've got out there. Our members pay a due to us. We need to work hard for them to promote their product, promote the well-being of the industry. I think we need to educate the general public on the on the product, just as I mentioned, uh, of how safe and nutritious beef can be. And I think we need to continue to look forward into the, the industry. You know, the, the last thing anybody wants to do is do what we've always done because you're going to just get stuck in that time frame. So we have to look forward. We have to look to the future. We have to see what's coming and try to at least stay with it, if not ahead of it. Tim, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Glad to be here. All right. Well, Delaney, good discussions there with the Iowa cattlemen. Always enjoy hearing perspectives from other cattle producers. Yeah, and it's interesting to uh, Dwayne, the the first gentleman we heard there, that was his first media interview. And obviously I wasn't, it was just for practice. And I said, you know, afterwards I said, you know, that was a really great interview. And I think I'd actually like to use it on the podcast. So you never know where your talents lie. That's right. That's right. I think he's a born natural. We'll see more (laughs) or hear more of Dwayne for sure. If our listeners want to hear more of us for whatever reason, Delaney, where can they go to do that? Absolutely. They can head to agnewsdaily.com, which will redirect you to our new home, Global Ag Network. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Google Play. I think we've got that issue resolved there. Or you can interact with us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter. With that, Mike, should we let everyone go? Let's let them go.